The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. And uh, today we're talking with Dr. Fiona McCullough. Having successfully reversed her own PCOS naturally, she has shared what she learned in her own journey in her new book, Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS, which has been released on September 20th, 2016. She is joining us today to discuss how this disease could be affecting you and what you can do about it. Welcome to the show, Dr. McCullough. Thank you so much, Dr. Risk. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so can you tell us how you got involved in treating women's health? Sure. So um, I actually became a naturopath um, after, you know, going through university. I was always interested in medicine. And um, I did become quite interested in nutrition and natural medicine uh, during my university degree. So I decided to go uh, into naturopathic medical school and when I was there, I actually explored, a, a, like, a lot of different areas of naturopathic medicine, you know, ranging from nutrition to uh, botanical medicine. So I was, I was interested in, in a lot of areas. I always had my own hormonal problems, though. So um, as I got through uh, the program, I started to sort of realize, you know, that, that the, you know, the cystic acne I had been dealing with for my entire life and irregular cycles were probably related to my hormones, despite the fact that um, I hadn't really been made very aware of that before. I sort of wasn't very knowledgeable about that before I actually went through the medical, the medical program. And um, so I had a lot of my own hormone tests run and, you know, this big light bulb went, uh, you know, on over my head and finally, like, I actually understood a lot of what had been going on with my own health and my own you know, really irregular cycles and different uh, health issues. So at that point, I, I became interested in hormones, and I always found them to be really challenging to understand, so I enjoyed the challenge of that. And I started working with a lot of uh, women who were going through infertility, so I got, you know, quite interested in many of the different aspects of women's health relating to infertility. And one of the, the main uh, conditions that causes infertility is PCOS. And that actually happened to be what I have. So um, I actually became very interested in that going through the next 16 years of my practice. Over time, I became more and more focused on treating PCOS. So can you tell us exactly what PCOS is? Sure. So it's the most common hormonal condition in women. Um, so it's extremely common. So it's about, you know, 10 to 15% of women have this. And Although the name is polycystic ovary syndrome, it, you know, a lot of the time we, we often thought of it as, okay, it's related to some, something with uh, ovarian cysts. You know, it has to be, the cysts have to be involved in this condition. That being said, um, the condition is actually not really about ovarian cysts at all. It's actually a complex hormonal and metabolic condition. So it affects every aspect of a woman's hormonal system. And it affects her metabolism as well. So her, you know, the way, you know, the way that she metabolizes food, um, her insulin levels, all of these are really central parts of the condition, as well as inflammation. So the PCOS is actually um, really a syndrome that is, it's, it encompasses a lot of different areas of health. And it starts, what we're finding now is it starts in childhood. 
and it continues on through a woman's lifetime past her reproductive years and into menopause. Um, so um, it's a very, very complex condition. Um, well, it sounds complicated if it's starting so early on. Um, and, and can you just let us know what some of those the symptoms are that people can look out for? Um, what, what actually happens with PCOS? Sure, yeah. So the symptoms that, you know, most women would experience, um, there's, there's quite a few actually, you know, really common symptoms. But um, probably the one that most women notice first would be um, irregular cycles. So um, having very long periods of time between menstrual cycles. And actually, you know, just to, to get more specific about that, it could mean anything from a 35-day long cycle or longer. So if, you know, a woman just even has kind of longer cycles than average, that could be a sign of PCOS. But especially if a woman, you know, skips altogether her cycles or, you know, doesn't have any periods for prolonged periods of time, that's actually, you know, really common. Um, so, uh, especially in younger women, so that's definitely something that you'll, you'll see. That's one of them. Um, the other signs uh, that are, are very common and that are characteristic are excess androgen. So those are hormones that we would typically think of producing male characteristics. So those hormones include testosterone and some other hormones in that same category are DHEAS, um, androstenedione. So there's a whole category of these androgen-like hormones, and they can have effects on the skin, which is one of the more noticeable symptoms. So they can cause uh, hair to grow in more male pattern areas. So, and that's called hirsutism. So that would be, you know, coarse hair that grow on the chin or the upper lip or under the belly button. Um, and one of the other things that they caused, which was what happened to me, was uh, cystic acne. And that acne tends to be usually on the jawline, on the chest or on the back. And it tends to be hormonal in nature, so it tends to fluctuate with the cycle. And the other thing about it is it's really hard to treat, and it tends to persist into adulthood. So this kind of acne, not just your, your typical teenage acne, but this kind of more persistent acne can be a sign of excess androgens. And then the other thing that a lot of women notice, um, unfortunately, again, despite the hair growing in you know, all the wrong places, the hair also falls out where you would like it to grow. So hair loss from the head and the scalp, so the front part of the scalp, uh, often there's some hair loss there. Usually the very front hairline is there, but then right behind there you'll see a lot of thinning and you can even see your scalp coming through. And that's called androgenetic alopecia. So that's related to too many androgens affecting the growth of the hair on the head. So those are some of the more common symptoms. And then the other thing that most women with PCOS have, though not all, is that they have trouble losing weight. It's really hard to lose weight when you have PCOS. The weight is all gained around the stomach area due to the insulin resistance that's quite inherent in the condition. And so this, you know, about 75% of women with PCOS tend to be carrying extra weight or heavier, but you really see this weight is carried in the stomach area, and it's just so hard to lose. So they'll try all types of diets. You know, they'll exercise and do all sorts of things that other people are doing, and other people lose weight and they're still struggling. So those are some of the, just some of the more noticeable signs, but I could go on all day about how all the different signs, because there's a lot. Well, most of those sound like things that um, women don't want to have happen to them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, the, not, the yeah. weight gain and <laughs> the hair in the wrong places and not in the right places. It, it actually sounds like um, most women's worst nightmare, to be honest. Yeah, it's not a pleasant thing, like having gone through it myself, you know, and you're, you don't know what's wrong. And if, you know, a lot of the time women are undiagnosed, like 50% of them, they don't know what's going on, right? So they just have these issues and uh, they're going through life and it's just very stressful, but it's not identified as PCOS. So if 50% of women are going undiagnosed, um, how is this diagnosed? Is there a complication of why it's going so undiagnosed? Yeah, so I think a lot of it actually has to do with awareness. So um, a lot of, you know, what has been taught to the medical community about PCOS is 
that, you know, there has to be these cysts or we, you know, we think of it as having this central aspect of ovarian cysts. And it's just not necessary to have ovarian cysts to have PCOS. So ovarian cysts are just eggs that, in in PCOS specifically, they're eggs that haven't fully ovulated and they kind of accumulate in the ovary. So they're not really your typical type of cyst. So a lot of doctors, you know, they'll ultrasound and they'll be like, oh, you don't have cysts or you don't have high testosterone in your blood or you don't have high glucose, which is another thing um, that often they think of is that their glucose levels should be high, almost like a diabetic. And so then it's kind of ruled out, even though these other signs are there. But really it's just um, not as much awareness of the condition. And despite how common PCOS is, it only receives about 0.1% of funding, research funding from NIH. So it's affecting lots of women. There's just not much information that's getting out there to the main, you know, to the mainstream medical community. But I have to say that's changing a lot in the past even just two years. Like we're seeing a huge explosion of awareness and a lot of it is the patient groups are just, you know, getting so much uh, of a spotlight on the syndrome. And there's a lot of celebrities who've come out and said, I have PCOS and, you know, they're not... Some of them are lean and they're, you know, different body shapes and, you know, different types. So there's all different types of PCOS and all different ways it can express itself. Um, so it goes easily missed because if, the, if that complexity isn't really brought out there, then it's just very, very easy to miss. Well, I know one of the things that is associated with it is the weight gain. And so if people are not overweight, I know their doctors often will overlook it and say, well, that can't be your issue because you're not at that point. You don't fit the body type of what's going on. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's The lean women with PCOS definitely go undiagnosed a lot until they try to get pregnant and they go to a fertility clinic. And then they learn that this was the cause of all you know, all these problems they've had all these years, right? So, um, yeah, so you're right. Like, the lean women go undiagnosed. But I've seen women, you know, all kinds of women going undiagnosed until they come in and they're like, wow, you know, all of a sudden now, like, this has been the cause all along, you know, of all these problems I've been having. <laughs> and it finally, everything makes sense, finally. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned fertility, and, and what does this mean for the women that are affected by it, especially because it's so common? How does this affect fertility? So, yeah, this is actually uh, uh, really interesting in certain ways. So it affects fertility in that it definitely causes that longer cycle. So if you can imagine, the period always comes, you know, two weeks after you ovulate, which um you know, that, that's a pretty consistent period of time there. So women with PCOS, they ovulate later or they don't ovulate. So it's, a lot of it is pinpointing the ovulation time. So that's really hard. It's hard to tell when you're ovulating when, or what if you don't ovulate at all, then it's, that's obviously going to make it hard to get pregnant. The other thing is that the egg quality is impacted by the levels of the androgens that are, you know, the testosterone that's in the ovary. It actually affects the quality of the eggs and there's a lot of also inflammation in PCOS that can affect the quality of the eggs, the implantation. So the syndrome definitely is associated with infertility, but a lot of it is treatable. So most women with PCOS do conceive. It's not, uh, it's just harder. Sometimes it takes longer. And, you know, the other thing with it is that the extra androgens that they have, they tend to have differences in the way that, you know, that they can get pregnant a little bit later in life, so their reproductive peak is about two years later. They tend to go through menopause around two years later because this testosterone in the ovary, it's kind of like, uh, it, it kind of rejuvenates your ovary as you get older for a certain amount of time, you know, and so there's that later, the fertility increasing as the woman gets a little bit older and tends to be even a little less fertile when she's really young and has a lot of testosterone because the younger okay. you are, basically, the more testosterone you have. Okay. Um, yeah, sounds like that can get quite complicated as well to figure out, yeah. you know, how to balance that if it's even shifting as you get older too. Yeah, it's really, it's really, a, you know, a very specific kind of way it presents throughout a woman's life. And so that's why a lot of the women's testosterone is totally normal because if they're not, you know, if they don't have really severe PCOS or 
if they're a little bit older, their testosterone's not going to be above that reference range that's in the lab values because, you know, when they created those lab values, those normal reference ranges are not age-related and they're not exclusive of women with PCOS. So it's just completely inaccurate unless you look at those all the time and you can really identify that looks a little bit high for your age, then then you could see it, right? But if you don't mm-hmm. look at testosterone levels in women all day long, you're probably not going to notice that. Okay. Um, well, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Dr. Fiona McCullough. Uh, she's the author of Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS, which is being released on September 20th, 2016. Um, so if, um, if you know you feel like this is affecting you, then look out for this book. Um, I think it'll be great help to anybody affected by PCOS. So we're going to be back shortly after this break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Addiction can affect our relationships, our families, our home, and work lives, but most importantly, ourselves. The recovery process can do wonders in the lives of people suffering from active addiction and also for those that love them. It's not just 12-step programs, but so much more. Start by tuning in to Miracles in Recovery with host Ray Lynch, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Hope is in your corner. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. I'm Dr. Rebecca Risk, and we're here today with Dr. Fiona McCullough. She's the author of Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS, which is being released on September 20th. So, Dr. McCullough, before the break, you did mention that PCOS has a lot of inflammation. So, what what exactly does that mean? How does that display itself? Okay, yeah. So, the inflammation in PCOS, um, we used to sort of think, like, research used to sort of think it was like a byproduct of almost like, you know, being overweight and that causes kind of chronic low-grade inflammation. And so that that was, you know, it was just a factor. But newer research is actually suggesting that PCOS actually originates from the inflammation or it's one of the most central factors of it. And what they've learned is actually one of the most primary causes of PCOS relates to the way our fat cells function And we used to think of fat cells as sort of being just like storage units. You know, you just pack the fat in there and they sit there and you burn it up when you're, you know, when you need food or energy, you just burn it. But the fat cells are actually almost like an endocrine organ. So they secrete hormones and different things that affect the brain. So there's like leptin, which is one of the, you know, the hormones that really affects our appetite. And then there's adiponectin, which is another one that is associated with really good metabolic health and function of the of the, you know, insulin pathways in the body. Um, so these hormones in PCOS seem to be really uh, the central problem in that the fat cells don't 
have a different function. And so the fat cells in PCOS, what they found is that no matter what your weight is, if you compare a woman with PCOS to another woman without PCOS of the exact same weight, that the woman with PCOS's fat cells actually get bigger and they leak um, fatty acids out more. And these fatty acids cause the inflammation. So the inflammation is just kind of there. And that inflammation is what causes the insulin resistance and a lot of the other problems in PCOS. So the inflammation can present, you know, definitely as um, in the bloodstream, you'll see kind of that like chronic low-grade inflammation. There's some markers like one is called HSCRP where you'll see actually the marker of inflammation in the blood. And that gets worse the more weight you gain because then you have more fat cells that are secreting these inflammatory chemicals. But um, the other way that it presents is because that inflammation is there all the time and it's just, you know, chronically there, like inflammation has a purpose. Normally, inflammation is our immune system's way of killing bacteria or fixing things that need to be fixed. Um, But if you have inflammation there all the time, it actually causes different kinds of damage to our cells, um, oxidative stress that causes, um, you know, problems with the functioning of the inner parts of our cell. Um, It can affect, you know, your brain, your gut. It can cause even uh, PCOS has even been linked to things like uh, TMJ and other inflammatory conditions and also increased risks of autoimmune conditions like Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So there's lots of uh, ways that this inflammation can really affect women um, with PCOS. So it's quite widespread because it's just, it's so central and it's it's there in everyone to at least some degree. Okay, so, I mean, we're talking a lot about this inflammation and just with what you described, it sounds like the insulin resistance is a, a big deal with that as well. So what what exactly is happening there with that? So the insulin resistance is one of the more, the most central and aggravating things that you'll see in PCOS. So the insulin resistance, it originates because the inflammation is there it causes a lot of fatty acid release from the fat cells. And though that extra energy that's sort of leaking from the fat cells, you know, it it triggers this inflammatory reaction. Um, And then the cells around this respond by becoming more resistant to taking more energy in, which insulin's main role, or one of its main roles, is to take energy into the cell from the blood. So to take sugar from the blood and put it into the cell. Its second role is actually to stop energy from being burned out of fat cells. So um, all of this inflammation just perpetuates this insulin resistance. And the more um, the cells are resistant to insulin, the more um, basically what happens is that your pancreas has to make more insulin in order to deal with the sugar that's in the blood. And then you end up actually with a condition of high insulin in the bloodstream a lot, a lot of the time actually particularly after eating, the insulin goes much higher than it would in a person who doesn't have PCOS. And the more weight you have are carrying, the more, um, you know, more that is an exaggerated response. And the insulin stays higher in between the meals for longer, and it's higher at night too. So that insulin resistance is really what makes it really hard to lose weight. Just thinking about insulin's role is to stop you from burning fat. If you've got high insulin all the time, it's just super hard to burn fat. And um, so it's just this big blocker that um, it's a very easy pathway to get stuck in when you have PCOS. So most people, when they gain weight, significant weight, they do become insulin resistant for the exact same reason, actually. But it's just much easier to get stuck in that pathway when you have PCOS. So when you're looking at um, dealing with the insulin and the the inflammation, um, how, how do you go about treating that? So, yeah, there's there's numerous ways to treat it. Um, the very first and most important way is through diet. So insulin is really secreted in response to eating. So it's the number one way that you can profoundly imp- impact your insulin levels. Um, and what we know now is that as, as much as we've known about the glycemic index of foods, there's, which is how much your blood sugar raises after you eat, there's another index that the same researchers from the University of Sydney actually have been looking at and a lot more 
information has come to light on this index in the past couple of years, and it's called the insulin index of food. So it includes a lot more different types of food because the glycemic index includes only carbohydrates. The insulin index includes all different kinds of foods. So by controlling the amount of insulin that you release, by choosing, you know, certain foods in a, a specific way, you can actually reduce that insulin resistance. Um, so my book has, you know, m- many more details on how to do this, um, but that's just kind of a simplified version of looking at it. Um, and then the other thing that really helps a lot is exercise, so especially, um, particularly muscle, mus- building lean muscle, because lean muscle makes your whole body more sensitive to insulin, and there's lots and lots of data on that. So we know that that's a really great way that women can really impact their um, level of insulin resistance. And the inflammation and insulin resistance kind of go hand in hand. So they're, you know, they're, they're really very much related to each other, almost like yin and yang. So if you can really, um, you know, focus on one thing that you can control very much, which is the insulin, then you're going to impact the inflammation. Um, there are also, like, different supplements that you can use to mitigate the impacts of the inflammation on the cells. So there's different kinds of antioxidants that have, um, there's some good data on using them for PCOS. And in particular, the reason they're working is that they're quenching some of that oxidative stress caused by the, um, the inflammation, that chronic inflammation that's always there. So it just makes the whole body function better because of that. Okay, so when we're looking at this whole big picture and, you know, the inflammation being a big deal, but then, you know, the hormones get out of play, especially the androgen, um, how, how would you um, look at getting those imbalances? Is it the same with the diet or is there something else that you have to do? Yeah, so this thought, there, the diet definitely will impact that because the insulin stimulates the androgen release from the ovaries. So if a woman with PCOS's ovaries are exposed to insulin, they're one of the only tissues in the body and also the pituitary that remain very sensitive to insulin and they just make so much testosterone when they're exposed to insulin. So it's definitely one of the causes of the androgen release. So that's one aspect uh, of, of how you can impact it. So it is kind of like a vicious cycle. The other thing is that there's some other types of PCOS that relate more to the adrenal glands, and the androgens are coming primarily from the adrenal glands rather than the ovary. And in those women, although they do also tend to be insulin-resistant, at least to some degree, or potentially insulin-resistant, they might have another um, another factor that's really playing a strong role, and that's the stimulation of the um, the pituitary adrenal axis. So basically when they experience stress, especially this excessive stress, they actually make not only cortisol, the stress hormone, but they make a lot of DHEA, which is this androgen hormone that turns into testosterone. So for some women, you know, this is a very important way to impact their responses. So you sort of have to look at each case and kind of break down what, and this is why my book has the different factors, the eight different factors, because each woman has a bit of a different kind of picture as to what is, you know, really, you know, aggravating her and how to break that cycle and get the, the hormonal regulation back in order. So you mentioned um, the adrenals and the cortisol level. We've talked about adrenals on the show before, but obviously it might also be a little bit different when related with PCOS. So can you just explain that a little bit more and how that plays with all the other hormone imbalances? Oh, sure. Absolutely. So, so yeah, this I find is is really really interesting because um, with respect to the adrenals, I think probably what we've all you know learned is that you know they make cortisol, they make some other hormones um, that relate to flight or fight. So they basically make the stress hormones, and you know of course we need these hormones to survive. And if we have too much of them or too little, then we can start to experience negative health effects from that. So the normal pattern of secretion of cortisol is that it you know it's it's very high in the morning when we wake up, and it's part of what wakes us up in the morning. And then the cortisol should just taper off throughout the rest of the day and become very, very low at night. And then, you know, we go to sleep, and the cortisol being low keeps us keeps us asleep, basically. So with PCOS, um, the the adrenal glands, and this happens actually, they believe as women are developing as fetuses in their mother's womb the adrenal glands have a change in them where they make too much androgen. 
And the, the same stimulus that makes us make cortisol, um, which is ACTH, so that comes from the brain, and that causes, um, in, in most women, for them just to make cortisol, which that's the normal thing for it to happen. That's the normal thing to happen. It also causes women to make something called DHEA. Um, DHEA is really, um, you know, in most women, it's a good thing. You know, we want it to be high. We don't want to have low DHEA because it's associated with increased aging and all sorts of things that we, you know, you know, they're, they're just, it's very good for our health in general. But in women with PCOS, they make a lot more DHEA when they're stimulated with the same amount of that hormone from the brain. So they end up, you know, when they're, if they have any kind of a stressor, not only do they pump out cortisol, but they also pump out androgens. So, and this is just a certain category of women with PCOS. So, all, you know, many of them do not have this at all, but there's a certain category that do have it as the predominant or at least as the partial cause of the androgen excess. And the reason I think this is the case is that the adrenals and the ovaries, they kind of come from the same developmental tissue in a fetus. So there's a lot of overlap there. But they think as well there might be some, some, some of the causes of this might be related to for example, certainly genetics. So some families have this um, where they tend to have adrenal androgen excess. I've actually seen this in some families I work with and even in the men, you know, who have very, very high DHEA and they have, you know, a lot of the symptoms of PCOS, except you would never know unless you would run all these blood tests because, you know, having too many androgens in a male would not be noticed at all. So, um, so they would have these, these exact same markers, and you'll see it in the family. So certainly there's some kind of a genetic origin. There's also been some link to perhaps, um, specifically with the adrenal type, to stressors while the fetus is developing at certain key times in the womb um, or at certain key times during puberty. Um, then this could cause overactivation or overdevelopment of certain areas of the adrenal gland. We don't understand enough about it yet, but it looks like those are some of the triggers for it. Whereas with the ovary type, some of the triggers could be a little different in that there is definitely that familial type of origin that you'll see in the genes have been really much, you know, we, we do have a lot of information on the very specific genes that we see in PCOS. Um, but, you know, for example, they've even linked uh, uh, exposure to bisphenol A, which is in plastic in the womb, to uh, babies and, you know, developing PCOS. So one of the, uh, the, the things that I find interesting is that they've, uh, they had a study on um, rats, a rat who's pregnant. Um, this generation of rats, they exposed it to one uh, exposure of BPA, not even a huge amount, but just a single exposure. But it was right at the time that this, the fetus's ovaries were developing in, in gestation. And when this baby rat became an adult rat, it had PCOS. And then that baby had got pregnant and had more baby rats. And I don't know what baby rats are called, but I'll just call them <laughs> baby rats. And those babies had even worse PCOS. So it just you know, there's a lot of things that can trigger it, but it looks like a lot of it happens, like, in certain developmental phases. Okay. Um, well, it definitely sounds really complicated, so I'm glad you wrote a book about it. So Because <laughs> it sounds like we couldn't talk for more than an hour. Um, we are going to take a quick break. We are coming back. We're talking today with Dr. Fiona McCullough, who wrote the book Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS, which is being released September 20th, 2016. So tune in to hear more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We are surrounded by crises. Domestic violence, mental health issues, rape, suicide. Often, we feel alone if we are dealing with these issues ourselves. Or, we feel powerless to help others who are dealing with them. You don't have to feel alone. Listen for The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. With Jessica Pirro. The show is an open forum to share and get advice from others and guest experts and begin or continue the healing process. Listen live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk, and we're talking today with Dr. Fiona McCullough, who is the author of Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS. So, Dr. McCullough, um, before the break, of course, we talked about all the hormone imbalances, and I know that um, the thyroid can play a huge role in PCOS, and you did mention earlier that there can be some autoimmunity, so the Hashimoto's can come as well. Can you just talk about what that means? Oh, sure. Yeah. So Hashimoto's is, you know, definitely the number one cause of hypothyroidism in North America. Um, and so it's basically, I think probably a lot of the listeners already know this, it's, it's when the immune system starts attacking the thyroid. And over time, the person becomes slowly more and more hypothyroid. So um, it is, you know, just an autoimmune process. So because of the um, inflammation in PCOS, it's thought that this is why there's an increased incidence, you know, in Hashimoto's because, uh, you know, there is definitely, uh, you know, it's quite marked, the, the increase. And, um, you know, you'll definitely see it in a lot of patients. Um, the other issue with this is that it's, and this is why I have it in, in my book as really, you know, a whole section um, because a lot of the time it goes missed. And the, the problem with it is that it, it's almost like, having another aggravating factor that causes the exact same problems to the metabolism that PCOS can. So it makes your metabolism slower. So that's absolutely the worst thing that we would need to happen because this is already a problem. We're already having problems with burning fat. We already have insulin resistance and hypothyroidism causes insulin resistance and it causes, you know, the metabolism to be slower and it causes people to gain weight. So it's, it certainly makes everything so much worse if this is coexisting. So they're not really, it's not a part of PCOS, but it's extremely common and it makes it a lot worse. Um, yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> when, yeah. you, when you're already having all those problems and then you add the thyroid on, onto it that just makes, you know, accelerates everything. Um, oh, yeah. So you mentioned earlier that as women get older, this does change, but it goes on into menopause. So, so what does that look like as women get older and what changes? Okay, yeah. So before, it always was thought that, you know, PCOS, once you have menopause, that's it, it's done. You know, and you don't have to worry about it anymore because, you know, this is just, uh, it's a hormone problem. You don't have any more periods, so you're not going to miss any more periods. And you're not trying to get pregnant, so you're good, and we can just move on. But that's not actually the case. Um, so PCOS is really a lifelong condition, and a lot of it is the metabolic and inflammatory aspects. So that's the central part, and those are the disruptors of the female hormones. So just because you don't have those female hormones to see anymore, then, you know, it doesn't mean the condition is gone. And, in fact, all the data shows that it's still there, you know, and there's an increased risk of type 2 diabetes, there's an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, blood clots, 
um, and then these inflammatory conditions as well, right? So um, it's really something that, you know, um, does continue on. And so women with PCOS, too, have to take a lot more care and still, you know, continue working on their metabolic health. Um, they do tend to go through menopause a little bit later, though, you know, um, about two years later. And the menopause that they experience can, you know, be slightly different um, than a woman who doesn't have PCOS. So um, what they might find is that at, at the first point when they go through menopause, um, there's a little bit of an improvement of their PCOS because the androgens have decreased and then the estrogen can even increase a little bit in PCOS. And in some cases, actually, this can create an improvement in some of these symptoms. Um, because in PCOS, when you're younger, the androgens are really dominant over estrogen, and then estrogen is, is dominant over progesterone. So this actually kind of creates uh, more of a normalization, and a lot of women with PCOS, as they get older, their cycles just naturally become regular. And this is just because the, the testosterone is decreasing, their estrogen kind of um, bumps up a little bit, and so that, you know, everything seems great. But as they go through getting closer and closer to menopause, um, you know, then they start actually um, making less estrogen and no progesterone. And then when that happens, um, some of the androgens become dominant again. And so then you're just seeing these same issues. Um, the insulin resistance gets worse. Um, so, yeah, so you're just seeing all of those things continue on. But as women go through um, their later years they, with PCOS, they do have higher testosterone than other women, the whole, you know, throughout their whole life. One of the benefits is that the women who have the high DHEA levels from the adrenals, they tend to do fairly well because that is, the DHEA actually helps preserve metabolic health as we get older. So um, there's some positives of having it um, as you get older, but, you know, it's just, uh, it just requires, you know, special care throughout your whole life. Okay. So, I mean, it does sound like they get a little bit of relief as, as they get older, though. <laughs> It's just like yeah. a slight change. It, it does get better as you get older, yeah, for sure. Like a lot of the factors do. You know, the acne will usually go away. The cycles will usually become regular. Fertility gets a bit better. So, um, yeah, just the weight gain and all of that tends to kind of just stay the same or get okay. a little worse. Okay, so... Um, it, overall, is there any um, lifestyle changes that people with PCOS should embrace to um, help them in this journey? Yeah, so for sure. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of things that we can all do. And, and of all the conditions, you know, that you can look at treating in women's health, it's probably the one condition that responds the absolute best to, to diet, lifestyle, you know, different kinds of supplements and, you know, anti-stress techniques. So there's a lot of things that you can do. You know, you can follow a sort of low insulin diet that I have outlined in my book, or you can research more about that online through the researchers at the University of Sydney. Um, so following that sort of diet is very, very helpful. Um, you know, just avoiding processed foods, avoiding sugars, um, eating plenty of protein, a good amount of healthy fats, and lots and lots of vegetables. So, um, but there's certain structures where you can actually control, you know, the amount of insulin you're releasing um, after a meal, and then exercising. You know, these are these are all very important. But then stress. So PCOS, you know, it's a, it's an extremely stressful condition. I can tell you for sure that many of the women that I see in my practice, many many of them have depression and anxiety, and um, it's complicated, so it's not only just because PCOS is stressful and it causes, you know, a lot of unpleasant symptoms and infertility, but actually PCOS seems to be independently related to um, to mood disorders, and it's probably mostly related to a combination of the inflammation and hormonal imbalance, So, as both of these have been, you know, linked quite strongly to mood disorders. So anything to reduce stress is often extremely helpful. So... Um, also, you know, um, going through uh, psychology treatment with a, a really good psychologist who understands PCOS, um, learning, you know, self-love, so not comparing yourself to these images in, in magazines of the perfect body shape and this sort of thing, you know, like there's been a, a lot of movement towards that and it's really been helpful for a lot of women, you know, in seeing, you know, that 
they're still okay, even if they don't look like this image that they're seeing. So these kinds of things are actually really important, in particular for women with PCOS. Um, so I think that any kind of meditation, yoga, anything that's, that's you know, aimed at stress reduction um, is, is very, very helpful, very important. So those are, those are our key. And there's also a lot of really great supplements um, that you can take, and they're really specific to each of the different factors that you'll see in the condition. So I have quite a detailed list in my book. Um, there's also, you know, checklists where you can sort of figure out which factors you have and then, you know, try to identify um, what would be the best ways to support your unique presentation. So there's supplements and herbal medicines as well that are all quite helpful um, and um, that I use, you know, with, with a good amount of success. So um, it's really kind of a whole body, whole woman, mind, body treatment that we look at. And um, those kinds of things make a huge, huge difference. Okay, so if somebody is just getting started to look at all of this, what should be the first thing that they do? So, I mean, I would think, first of all, like what you would want to do is really to get some blood work done um, and get a basic panel done of, of some of the most important hormones and factors so that you can sort of learn, you know, which parts of your um, your body are affected by PCOS. So do you have some of the markers of insulin resistance? So I would be, you know, really careful not to confuse those with markers of diabetes. So um, there are markers of insulin resistance like fasting insulin that we can look at. And those are not really tested very often. So, and then testing the markers of inflammation like HSCRP and then testing the adrenals like DHEAS. So there's different tests that you can look at getting done to understand, you know, what aspects are related to the condition. So that's sort of like if you have a practitioner to work with who can help you with doing those tests, that's a great way to start because then you know you're going to be treating, you know, or working on the areas that you really need. So it's not a cookie-cutter approach, and that's why a lot of um, these methods that are used um, in traditional medicine, you know, in, in conventional medicine to treat PCOS often don't work for a lot of women because they're not addressing that woman's unique problem. So the birth control pill or metformin, you know, those don't work. In many cases, the birth control pill will just sort of cover it up. And metformin only works to a certain degree in women who are quite insulin resistant. So, um, so yeah, just understanding more about how it presents in your body. And then, you know, um, even if you don't have any information or anything else to go to go from, you don't have any kind of blood, blood work, just following some of the, the, the dietary changes, reducing sugar, um, exercising, um, avoiding any kind of processed foods, eating plenty of protein with every meal and increasing your amount of vegetables that you're eating. Those things alone can do wonders, even if you have, you know, n- you know no uh, resources uh, to get lab tests or you don't have a practitioner to work with. Okay, so you said that there, there's more awareness of PCOS now, but do you find that people sometimes will have problems finding somebody that can help them with this? I do actually, yeah, I do, and I think um, I I think it is a problem. I think a lot of the time women are told, well, um, you should just lose weight and your PCOS will get better, which is extremely frustrating because um, it's really hard to lose weight, and they're not given any tools, you know, to lose weight. So that's really what they're told a lot of the time. And then the other thing they're done that's done, and this is a, I think a big problem is that women are put on the birth control pill from the time that they're very, very young. So they never really get the opportunity to even really work on their PCOS. It's completely masked, or they don't even know. They just kind of have irregular cycles as a teen. They're on the pill, and they stay on the pill for 15 years. So they never really know that they have it. But finding, you know, uh, finding someone to work with who really specializes in that is, is a little bit, it, it seems to be quite challenging because this is kind of more the the conventional medicine approach. But a lot of the... Doctors now, you know, some of the more advanced researcher doctors in PCOS and even in conventional medicine are taking a much, you know, a different approach where they're going, they're becoming more individual in their way of looking at women. They're getting more involved in recommending specific sorts of nutritional changes or nutrients to add or, you know, look at, looking at customizing the, even the medical approaches to each woman. So I think things are changing, but I would just uh, encourage women to do a lot of research on 
who they're, they're working with and just to make sure that they do have experience with PCOS very specifically. Okay. So is there any way that somebody can get a hold of you or find your book if they um, are thinking this might be affecting them? Sure, absolutely. So you can, uh, you can check out my website, which is drfionamd.com. And if you want to sign up for my list, I have a free ebook on the most common hormone tests. Uh, and decipher it. So it gives you all the information on what these tests mean so you can read your own blood work and understand it. Um, so I have that. So And then I'll, you can keep in touch with me through that newsletter. So we send out in, informative newsletters. Um, I have a Facebook page. So it's Facebook slash Dr. Fiona ND. So I'm always posting on there. Um, and then my clinic is called White Lotus Integrative Medicine and it's whitelotusclinic.ca. So you can feel free to reach out to us there. Um, we have a team of naturopaths, and we all specialize in PCOS, so um, feel free to reach out to us um, if you need any specific personalized help. Um, and then to find my book, it's available um, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, Walmart, so it's widely available, and it should be in most uh, many bookstores as well, but if you're having, uh, it, it's available if, you're, if you have a local bookstore, you can request it, and they'll bring it in, even if it's a small bookstore but a lot of the bigger bookstores will have it there. So, yeah, check it out, okay. and uh, hopefully I'll be able to find okay. it. Okay, great. Well, um, this was a great show. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been great to be here. <laughs> Okay, thank you. So we were talking today with Dr. Fiona McCullough, who's the author of Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS. And next week, we're going to be speaking with Zoltan Rona um, about vitamin D uh, for upcoming fall and winter. It's a great topic. So tune in to learn more. And thanks so much for joining us today. Make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.